This message that I'm doing today is going to be a little different than my typical, because typically I pick up a chapter and just kind of stick there. Uh, there's going to be a delicate. I'm going to be delicate about it because I don't want anybody to... I don't want anybody to take it wrong or anything, because I'm not, it, I'm not like... I'm not really pointing anybody out with it, and especially not here at this church, but I mean like in general. And it's called How Not to Read the Scripture. How Not to Read the Bible. And it's not, I'm not going to teach you how to get out of reading the Bible, but the issue is that there's a very common way of reading the Bible these days of just, you take one verse here and one word there and a sentence here and a sentence there, you throw them together and you just come up with something. Mainly it's because the way most preachers preach today, it's like a therapy session. They come in and say, well, if you just act happy and live a good life, you know, God wants to give you health, wealth, prosperity, cars, money, whatever. Or even the people who don't do that, just, you know, okay, here's five things that end with, shun that will show you how to live a good Christian life. Motivation, you know, whatever. Then shun. All these things. And the problem is when you do that, when you're trying to, when you come up with the context of your sermon first, and then you go searching for text to kind of back it up, you do what's a, th what's a, th a thing that's called proof texting, which means that you just get one thing that kind of sounds like what you think it sounds like or what you want it to sound like, and that's good enough. That's all you need. The problem is, is everything has context. What's the person really saying when they said those words? Is, is, there are times that you can take an entire chapter and boil it down to one sentence. Sure, you could say, oh, this whole chapter, and basically the point is whatever. You know, the, don't steal or, you know, be cheerful. You know, whatever it is. But that's, you're summarizing on purpose. You're not just taking a word and saying, this word right here means that we need to build an entire ministry on this one word. And unfortunately, it's something that, that we have to do. It's, that, that, that we have to do is we have to, we have to address this sort of thing where people just want to take one word out of the Bible, one scripture out of the Bible, and make stuff about it. It ends up being a really, I hate to say it, but most people do it end up sounding kind of dumb about it because you end up with these situations where you'll end up with a ministry like an end times ministry. And I have no problem with end times ministries. Thinking about the end times and how it's going to happen is an important thing. But they'll make these comments and they'll, they'll say, well, this text here proves that something, you know, who here, it, I don't know, who here's ever heard of the four blood moons? The four blood moons being pushed. It was pushed up until September of last year. It's <laughs> some, it's an occurrence where, for whatever reason, four times in a year, there will be a, a lunar eclipse on a Jewish holiday. Okay, well, if anybody knows anything how Jewish holidays work, Jewish holidays usually work end on, start on the 1st or the 14th of the month. Why is that important? Because the 1st of the month is the first day of the new moon, when there's no moon in the sky. So the 14th day is a full moon. 
Well, when's the only time you can have an eclipse? When the moon is in such a way that the shadow is being cast on it. So guess what? In 115 years, there's been like 40-something times they've had an eclipse on a Jewish holiday. And just because four times it happened in a single year, it's the blood moons. And what this means is some major event's going to happen on September 23rd of 2016. Well, we're in November of 2017 and nothing's happened about no blood moons yet. What was supposed to happen? Nobody really knows because <laughs> they just had one verse. that they, They're just saying, well, in Joel, it's talking about blood moons. So the problem is like that. They, they'll say different things. Oh, there's going to be an outpouring. There's going to be some major event in Jerusalem. There's going to be nothing really. As a matter of fact, on that day, it was kind of a nothing event. Like there were no like terror attacks that day, which is weird because there were like a whole bunch a couple weeks before. There were none that day. Almost like God was playing with them going, oh, you're looking at this day here. How about this? Nothing's going to happen that day. It's going to be a calm day. Yep. Now, that's again, that's not to rip on people who are concerned about the end times, because it's going to happen. There's going to be an end times. It's good to know what it says. Read the book of Revelation. It'll tell you what it says. But you don't have to look and pick one little sentence out, and especially with the fact that, what, what, what did everybody say? We don't know when the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back, right? We don't know. Anytime. Could happen anytime. We don't know. He says, nobody, nobody knows. Jesus himself said, nobody knows. But I'll give you some ideas about what's going to happen. There's going to be wars, remove wars, all these things. Watch. Watch for this. But he doesn't tell us when. Well, if you could just say, well, it's going to be on the fourth blood moon. That contradicts what Jesus just said. <laughs> so clearly, proof texting is a problem because you can make the Bible say anything you want. That's why we have all these different things. We have Mormonism and other things. They just take one verse that kind of sounds like it says something, and they make it mean a whole bunch of other stuff. So the reason why this is important is because you can be carried away with these doctrines that just aren't biblical. They're not in the Bible. There's, again, people will, 2012, People were actually, some people were saving up, up food because December 22nd or 23rd of 2012, something bad was probably going to happen. Why? Because the Mayan calendar ended and somebody figured out that the Mayan calendar somehow aligns with certain dates in the Jewish calendar. Well, you would think that makes sense considering the fact they're both looking at the moon. So they both have a, comp we all work with either the sun or the moon. That's how we determine time of the season, of the year. It's going to happen. It's not. But the problem is, is when you have people, you know, stocking up and building bomb shelters and stuff because somebody told them one time or they read a book. And the problem is, is I'm just going to telegraph it, is that it makes it makes you sound ridiculous when you'll say these things. And then a person will ask you, well, well where's that in the Bible? Well, well it's, it's got to be in there because the guy quoted a scripture. Okay, he quoted a scripture. All right, great. And that scripture says what? Well, something about moons. Okay, great. Mentions the moon. Beautiful. <laughs> now, 
Now, there are things in the Bible that are tough to understand. There's mysteries. Paul talks about the mysteries. The Catholic Church has compiled a list of 12 mysteries Paul speaks of. Now, while I don't agree with everything the Catholic Church preaches, there are, in fact, Paul mentions 12 mysteries. The mystery of salvation. How exactly God thought that out. We can't understand God's mind, so we don't know how how he figured out to do salvation. The mystery of, of God being born as a man. How does that really happen? How does the, what are the dynamics? There's, there's these different mysteries as to why if God does the things he does, why things happen. And that's fine to ponder the mysteries, to think about these things and say, well, how can I set them in my heart to where I believe them and I can express them in a, in a, in a very open and honest way? The thing is, is even though we call them mysteries, they're explained out in the Bible. Well, how did God, you know, how did God atone for our sin? It'll tell you in the chapter. It's not just one verse. It explains in there how that he had to go to the cross. He had to die. He had to be in atonement for our sin. He had to be put in a grave and he had to resurrect. Why? Because he had to defeat sin. He He had to defeat death. Everybody dies, but he's, he came back, and he raised himself. So we can read. It's still a mystery exactly how all that works, but it's in there in a very clear context. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Joel chapter 2. We're going to go and go to Joel chapter 2, and... We're going to just take a look at this text that literally the, the verse that, that inspired like five separate books, three separate end times ministries, all kinds of stuff you had mentioned about it. Um, if you have a Bible or if you're pulling a Bible in the pew out, um, about the center of it, if you're seeing like Proverbs and Psalms, go towards the back of the book a little bit. You're seeing like Jonah and Obadiah or anything like that. Matthew, go towards the front of the book a little bit. It's, it's in there. It's after Hosea, but before Amos. Now, the book of Joel is an apocalyptic book. It's talking about war. It's talking about destruction. It's talking about armies fighting. It's talking about all kinds of different stuff. Now, he goes over basically the same event several different times. He kind of says, well, it's going to happen this way. And then he kind of changes perspective. So he says it's going to kind of happen this way from this perspective. And it's going to kind of happen this way from this perspective. And it's going to happen this way from that perspective. So if we look at Joel chapter 2, verse 31, this is where, and I guess we could actually start in 30 just so we get just a little context, but... This is where we see the, 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 this entire thing basically comes from, as far as there's other places. But it says, starting in 30, it says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall the deliverance of the Lord 
hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. And that's what's used as proof that some major event is going to happen on the four blood moons. That there's going to be something that happens that causes the sun to be darkened and the moon to... Now, the, the blood thing is because, of course, when there's an, uh, anybody who's ever seen, a lot of times when you look up the, sun, the moon, as the, as the shadow's passing, it looks red first. So, turn to blood. So, that's it, though. Does that really, and that all by itself, does that tell you anything particularly about what's going to happen or why it's going to happen? Well, the only thing we got is that it's going to happen at the day of the Lord. The judgment, the, the, the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's what we get. Now, the crazy part is, is we do know in, in the end times, especially if we read the book of Revelation, that it, it says that, you know, a bunch of things will happen. And we know that there will be a situation where the sun is darkened, and in Revelation, it says, for a third of the night, the moon will be covered. Okay, but there's, this is one of these things where there's a lot of scripture that talks about this. I'm not going to read all these because we'll be jumping around forever. But if you, want to, if you want to write them down, you can even, or you can go into a, go online or go into a concordance. Because I got it out of Layman's Concordance, which is a book. There's Isaiah 13.10. Isaiah 34.4 Isaiah 30 verse 3 Ezekiel 32 verse 7 Joel 2 verse 10 The one we just spoke of which was Joel 2.31 Joel 3.15 Amos 5, verse 20. Matthew 24, verse 29. Mark 31, or 13, verse 24. Revelation 6, verses 12 and 13. And that's just... That's just 10 verses that specifically mention the sun and the moon. There's almost 30 if you just say anytime it says the sky, the sky is darkened. Or the sky has like a scroll rolled over it. Or there's sackcloth of hair, like meaning a dark garment as if it goes over it. There's like 30. So the Old Testament and the New Testament is talking about it a lot. It's not some mysterious thing that we have no idea. There are moons and blah, blah, blah. It talks about it a lot. It's not just something that we, like, that literally one guy in San Antonio, Texas, looked at the Bible one day and said, oh, look at this, and got some weird thing out of it. People have known these verses are in the Bible for as long as the Bible's been written because it talks about it a lot. I guarantee you the reason why it shows up in the New Testament is because the people at that time knew it was in the Old Testament. They were discussing it. 
They're trying to, they're trying to learn, understand it. Yeah. So, <laughs> again, I don't, this is, now anybody who knows about the four blood moons would say, well, you know, you're, you're getting upset or getting whatever, railing against John Hagee, because he's the one who wrote the one book. There's also another guy, Mark Biltz, who wrote another book about it. And the thing is, I think, I think their intentions are good. I just don't think that they're reading the Bible well. They're just not reading the Bible properly. Because one of the problems with it is it doesn't even work with their own view of the end times. There are multiple views of the end times. Like the Catholic Church doesn't really think there's going to be all this apocalyptic stuff going on. They think it's more going to be like there's going to be a battle of some sort at the end. But they're not so sure about all the reigning stuff. They don't take that as being literal, really. There's various views. You go to Reformed churches, and they'll talk about how that there's, they don't think there's a millennial reign of Christ. And all these different views in the body of Christ. And not here to say any are right or any are wrong. But if you read Revelation, it talks about a bunch of stuff happening. It talks about seals being broken open and stuff happening. It talks about trumpets being sounded and things happening. Talks about vials of liquid being poured out, which is judgment, it refers to judgment, being poured out. Some say there's, there's seven of each. So some say there's 21 distinct events. Some people say there's 14 distinct events because they combine the two together. Some say there's seven. I believe, John Higgy believes that there's going to be like 21 distinct events. So... If he believes there's going to be 21 distinct events, but he's saying these blood moons are just like, they can happen any time. They can just happen any time and it means something special. Well, when does Revelation say that the blood moons happen? Because believe it or not, in English, Greek, Hebrew, there are things where we say the word, and after that happened this or, and after that time, or you say, and then, when somebody says, and then, they mean everything that happened before, happened before. Doesn't seem like it's, that, that's not earth-shaking. Nobody just, like, lost, you know, their mind over the fact that, I said, when I say, then, that means that everything that happened before the word then, happened before the word then. But... Let's go and let's hop back to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. It's the very last book of the Bible. Now, I'm going to start in the 10th verse of chapter 8 because only because I want to show there's a sequence being pointed out here. There's and thens being used and and winds being used and all this stuff. So we're going to start in 10. It's going to say, And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters, because they were made bitter. 
12. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars, so as the third part of them were darkened, and the day shone for a third part of it, and likewise, and night likewise. And I beheld an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the voice of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. So, the sun's being darkened, the moon's being darkened, everything's being closed up. When does it happen? Fourth trumpet of these seven trumpets that happen. So it's a part of a sequence of something. It's not just something that you rip out of context and say, oh, it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. No, it's a sequence of events. If there's seven trumpets, there's seven trumpets. The fourth trumpet does not come before the first trumpet. If there's seven of them, and it's labeled the fourth. The thing we need to do when we read the Bible is we need to think well. Think to yourself, if somebody is saying something and it just sounds ridiculous. Or even maybe it just sounds like, well, that could be, but there's this weird thing that I've never heard of before. There's a good reason to be suspect of that. There's, there's a huge issue in the church of people just believing what people tell them. You hear the preacher say something, so you believe it. That's great. That's great that you want to believe in your pre preacher. You want to believe in your pastor. You want to believe that the authority figures would not mislead you. The thing is, is they don't have to intentionally mislead you. They are corrupt. They are fallible men. You can teach something and then sometime later realize you're wrong. Wait a second. I just realized, you know, that if you really look at it a different way, if you add something to you add a never the thought to it, it means something a little different. They can, you can be led astray on accident. It's not doesn't have to be deceit. It can yeah. just be something that's accidental. Yeah. The problem is, is again with this, make, it's making it sound and making things that are, are ridiculous. Because we, the, the, the Christian church went from being, everybody just kind of accepted that the Christians were good, God-fearing people that told the truth and they have these things. And now all of a sudden, and a lot of this is because of things the church has done. The church has seen, when the research and study and said, what's the first thing you think of when you think of the word Christian? The world said they hate gays. That was the number one thing. They hate gays. It was like close to 90%. Christians in the churches polled in the churches, said, what do you think? 70% of them said, against gay, hate gays. People in the church, the first thing they think of when they think of Christians is hate. Hate? We're supposed to be known by the way we love, yeah. by the way we care, by the yeah. way we treat people, yeah. by the way we extend hospitality. The churches are supposed to be a hospital for the sick. Not for the health, not a museum for saints. That's right. yeah. It's, 
we we should there we should stand for our 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 morals. We should stand for our principles. But in that standing, we should be known for how we love. It shouldn't be because they know we hate things. We we really you can hate a sin, but we're to love the sinner. It has nothing to do with the the. It's we can't judge people in their souls, so it has nothing to do with with the soul. We make decisions all the time of what we do or do not like. We have to. I mean, you decide who you're going to marry. How do you decide? You make a judgment. Does the person align with the stuff I like? Do they? Do our personalities fit well? Well, maybe you didn't, and then you're in a terrible marriage. I don't know. Maybe you just ran off and got married, and now everything's terrible. Still, you made a judgment. You made a bad judgment. Snap judgment. Said, we're going to get married. You got married, and now everything's terrible. The point is, we as Christians, we need to think well. When people think of the church, they should be able to think, these are people who are thinkers, who are people who love, who they offer hospitality. The church is the number one supplier of shelter to the homeless. The church is the number one supplier of food to the people who are hungry. The church is the number one supplier of clothing to people who need it. The church is the number one, they collect, the church collects 8% of all the money donated that's they're given that's supposed to go to people who are poor or needy. 8%. Now that's including the government because the government takes money, doesn't ask, they take. But the church only takes 8%. They provide 90% of all the services that actually reach the people. And yet when somebody's asked, what do you think about the church? They say, hey, why? Because our message is not getting out because our actions are loud and clear. Yeah. Our actions speak a thousand times louder than everything else mm -hmm. that we could possibly do. So when it comes to something like the scripture, we need to think well about these things. How does this, how can we use this? How can we use it to build up? How can we use it to be prepared for the end times? I am, this is my opinion, but I am convinced that how it says there's going to be a great apostasy, a great falling away at the end times, where people are just going to leave the church in droves. We haven't, in America we've seen that kind of, but the rest of the world has not. The rest of the world is getting saved. A lot of them are. Mm -hmm. But I think stuff like this is what's going to cause people to leave. They're going to be hearing all these things about how that, oh, there's all these prophecies and there's all these end times things. And after a period of time, they're going to go, they keep saying there's some big event, but it never happens. As, as Solomon said, people will laugh and scoff because they'll say, you say a, a catastrophe has happened, but things have continued since the beginning of the world. We keep claiming it's all this, we don't know how it's going to happen, and it's not on our timetable. So what we need to do is be aware of it. We need to think logically and, and, and clearly about it. But we need to get past being, whether we're alarming people, and just think rationally and make sure that we're living in such a way that we're stalking the kingdom of God up with souls. When Jesus came to be baptized, John fell down on his knees and said, Behold, the kingdom of heaven is now. Now, it may not be on this earth in a physical form, but we are 
when we get baptized, it is a symbol of passing out of this world, out of Satan's domain, going down dirty and coming out cleansed in the spirit, in the kingdom of God. People always want to talk, oh, I'm living for a day when we are not on this earth and we're in heaven. That's all well and good, but we're citizens. As Christians, you're citizens of the kingdom of God now. Amen. Right this second. It's not something that will. We worry about who's the... Christians get really involved in politics. Oh, we worry about this and that, and we should endorse that presidential comment. God's the king of... Christ is the king of it all. And he's sitting on the throne now. Amen. So if we really believed God is going to do the right thing... Christ is, is the king. Why are we really all that concerned about endorsing candidates? Vote for the right people. Vote for the, the best people there that you can. If there's no good person on the ballot, I personally don't vote for that person. Because when you vote for the lesser of two evils, you're voting for evil. Yeah. But we need to be, we need to let our heart be worked on by God because the heart of man is desperately wicked. And if we let it run our lives, we'll be known by being carried around by doctrines. We'll be known by being carried away by things we hate. We shouldn't do that. We need to use everything God gave us. He gave us intellect. He gave us a Bible to read. He gave us the ability to, to put all this together and to calm our hearts. When your heart gets frantic, when it gets it's crazy and you can't think of what the next thing or the world. There are times that I'm reading articles and I actually have some of these end times things on my Facebook. And there's times you see all this stuff happening and it just like your heart just aches. You're like, God, I just want it to be all over. God, can you just end it, please? So it can just be over. When that happens, the best thing you can do is to, to stop yourself, pray about it, get in the Word, read a psalm. The psalms, one-third of all the psalms are not happy. They're actually sad. They're, they're, they're asking, why are you allowing this to happen, God? That sometimes can help just because in that moment you know there's a kindred spirit. David or Asaph, whoever it was, it was writing. Solomon wrote some of the psalms. When they were writing, they felt the same we do. All of creation groans for the return of the king. But we are a spiritual kingdom now. And for that reason, we need to live like we we actually have a reigning king on now. We need to think like we are currently have a king set up in heaven who sees what we're doing and is going to help. He's a loving king. He, he cares for us. He called us to be servants, to have a servant's heart. If what you're reading and what someone's preaching is not convicting you that you need to do more to help your fellow man, and especially to help people get saved, so they can have the key to eternal life, then the preaching is it's, it's speaking into the wind. It's pointless. It's pointless. There's no point in sounding alarm for people being scared if you're not providing the escape. The escape is the gospel. The escape 
It's the cross Amen. and the resurrection Amen. that brings us out of the sin and puts us into the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Now, we're going to go to 2 Peter first verse. So from Revelation, it's only going to be a few pages back towards the front. I don't know how many in here. In my Bible, it's 14, but it could be... Now, 2 Peter, first chapter. I just do want to point out that to the world, the things we believe are fool, seem foolish. We believe, even to a Muslim, a Muslim believes God created all things, but he doesn't believe that he's in intimately interacting with us because we're too dirty for God to interact with us. Therefore, they don't even understand. God literally would come down as a person to live among us so that he could personally provide the way? It seems crazy. We can I say, well, you know, that we already believe things that when you think about it, can be difficult to believe. You say, well, you know, well, it's a crazy theology. There are things we believe that God somehow came down as a man, was 100% God, 100% man, died, lived a perfect life, which none of us could ever do died on a cross, crucifixion, and rose again three days later of himself. It was the will of the Father through the Holy Spirit Amen. that Christ would raise himself from the dead. Amen. And he did it, and we believe that. That can be crazy to people who aren't in it. It's a stumbling block to the Jewish person. Mm -hmm. it, Jesus and Paul, they, oh, you're throwing out a stumbling block with that because the Jewish person can't understand that. He would become a servant because they want a ruler who's going to reign with a sword. But the thing is, is if we're thinking well about the end times, if we're thinking well about the Bible, we will follow this concept. Now, this gets used way wrong, and I'll, I'll quote it, I'll, I'll misquote it as most people quote. Scripture is of no private interpretation. That's what people say. Well, Scripture is of no private interpretation. Anytime you say something that sounds a little off, a preacher will tell you right away, well, Scripture says no private interpretation. Okay. Well, let's read what he's saying, talking about this. We'll actually start in the 19th verse of the first chapter of the second epistle of Peter. It says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Prophecy means preaching. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shines in the dark place. Until the day dawn and the star, day star arise in your hearts, knowing the first, this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Yeah. This is saying that the people who wrote the Old Testament, the people who are writing the Bible, the people who are preaching, it needs to be consistent. If you have one verse in the Bible that sounds like it might say something, okay, so what? They're right there, the, the, the blood moon thing is something not every Christian has heard of. Not at all, let alone the four blood moon thing. 
But the Blood Moon, a lot of people haven't read that. They don't know about that. They got saved and they went about their life and they never really looked into the end times type of stuff. So they don't really know that. And yet there was 10 verses that say it explicitly and 30 verses that say it in some way or another. Yeah. Well, you can't, well, that's what it's saying. If you have one verse, well, there's nine others that say the same thing. And they all are referencing in somewhere in that chapter, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. What is that? When God rains his, his, his wrath down. So when you're looking at the scripture, you can't have one text that says what you mean. It's not that there can't be one preacher in the world saying this. I promise you I'm not the only person saying this, who's <laughs> frustrated by this, but you can't say, well, there's only, you're the only person who's saying that, that I've ever heard. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. It's saying, is it in the scripture? Can you back it up? Paul talks all over him. Paul talks in, it's interesting because in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, in like 7 and 8, verse seven, chapter 7 and chapter 8, Paul talks about the fact that he keeps going back and forth. He'll say, well, the Bible, he basically saying the Old Testament says, this is what you should do. We know through God and through the Spirit, this is what you should do. And then he says, now me speaking as a man, because there is no direct reference to this in the Old Testament, says... This is how you should do it. But he's saying as a man, as a human being, think as well as you can. Do the best you can to be align yourself with the scripture. If there's no clear reference to the scripture, just make sure that when you're doing it, you're not violating some principle of the faith. Because you might not, I mean, we come up with things all the time. Should we go to space? I guarantee you they were not thinking about people in capsules going to Mars in the, old in the end times. But you can take the thought and say, okay, well, when I do it, as long as I'm not breaking certain things that the Bible would clearly be wrong, would think is wrong. I can't think of any off the top of my head with Mars. Maybe like if they decide they're going to be like growing people in tubes or something, you might want to consider the, the ethical issues behind that. <laughs> but think well about the scripture use everything God gave you because God says you can look out in nature and nature itself when you see it even you know even an atheist is shocked at times because they're saying how does all this happen on its own they essentially have to say well we just believe it's random chance that's faith having to believe it is because when you look at nature you go it's so perfect they're honeybees and the honeybees pollinate these flowers. And if you didn't have the flowers, you wouldn't have the honeybees. And if you didn't have the honeybees, you wouldn't have the flowers. And so which came first, chicken or the egg? You know, it's, and it, well, we need them all. God yeah. put everything in place for a reason, for a purpose. Yeah. Think well about it. If you can't, why can't I explain the, the Genesis account? Few people can. It's okay. Just think well about it. Nature itself declares that it's so perfect. It's so, so perfectly tuned, made for life. We found 3,600 planets out in other solar systems. Not a single one of them even looks like it could even possibly be like the Earth. As of right now, we're unique. God did this for us. Yeah. The Earth cries out the glory of God. God gave us a scripture to look think well 
Think logically, but don't let your logic get in front of your faith. Use it all together. Use it. Work on it. And definitely use it to edify. If the church is taking care of all of the orphans and widows in the world, and yet the only thing people think of is hate, then we've got a problem. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a, like a PR problem. We've got a problem with us because we are not getting the gravity of the situation. Right. There are souls that are living and dying and going to hell because we're more worried about hating somebody who sins than getting the person saved. Yeah. Yeah. That is not okay. That's not okay. We need to think well. We need to put ourselves under the headship of God, of Jesus Christ, a current reigning king Amen. who expects you to be good citizens in the kingdom of God. Let's bow our today for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I, this message was... I know it was weird and people were, I think I probably lost my mind now, but uh, so if I ever had it, just be with these people as they go, that, that they will get into the Bible and they will notice that the Bible is just, it gives us all the principles, all the ethics, everything we need to live our lives. Help these people to grow closer to you. I don't want them to grow closer to me. I don't want them to grow closer to a church. I want them to grow closer to you. You're perfect, perfectly just, perfectly loving. May everyone grow closer to you. None of me, all of you. May we all fall under the blood of Christ and that when we kneel down in front of the altar and say, you know, here I am, that you will say that you know us and that we didn't run our, our race in vain because we were more worried about crazy doctrines or whether or not people liked us. Let us all do what we need to do, which is live in the Spirit daily. Work on my soul, work on their soul. Be with everybody as we go out throughout this day. We're asking everything in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.